Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Well, we are in a new month. It's uh, October, if you haven't figured that out yet. And uh, a new month, and we are also... Uh, starting a long, extended, what we pray will be a helpful uh, series and a letter that we call 1 Corinthians. It also happens to be our time where we're in uh, a new rhythm of our community groups. Week one already happened, and now you already have. If you walked in your guide uh, for week two, we're also uh, hopefully, as a church, recognizing that our fiscal year ends ended yesterday, and we're in a new fiscal year today. There's all this new going on, new backdrop, new, 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 new. And this is a good thing. Uh, There are seasons of life. And so what we want to do is press in. Based on our vision series, if you missed it, it was three weeks of the people that God has created us to be and become. We want to live helping people experience life in Jesus. So now, how do we do that? It's by following Jesus together. And so here is the plan uh, it's going to be at least 45-ish or more messages in this letter because we don't want to miss out on anything God has. And so today, all I want us to do is we're going to look at the big picture and we're going to read the first few verses. So I'm going to invite you uh, to do something. It, it may seem traditional, but let's just do it anyway. I'm going to invite us all to stand up, if you would. You just got seated, but why don't you stand up? And what we're going to do is there's an introduction in my Bible. It has like little subtitles and everything. And the first three verses are just an introduction. And we're going to put it up on the screen for all of you. And what we want to do is simply read the text together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 3. Okay, let's just say these words together. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word to us. You can, you can have a seat. Well, uh, many of us, we've read this letter before. Some of us have walked through this letter before, right before we planted as a church 12 years ago uh, at the church that planted us. We walked through this letter line by line. So a lot of this will not be new. But to state the obvious, this is a real letter to a real church. And so What makes it worth studying? That's the question. It is a letter by an ancient writer to an ancient people that are no longer there. Yet, it's more than a letter. It's God's word to us. All scripture is God-breathed, God-authored, and is profitable, useful for teaching and correcting and training in how how to help us live a righteous life before God. So, We're going to go through it really slow, and in doing so, uh, what this is going to do is to help us. The the obvious is we want to read God's Word to us and learn it, read it, 
understand it and apply it. That's helpful. But we also want to learn how to read our Bibles better so that when you're home on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, Friday and Saturday, when you open up the Bible for yourself, you're learning patterns that can help you get the most out of what God says to us. I think if we've been around church for a long time, we can fall into the subtle trap to say that this is the place where I hear from God when someone else has looked at the Bible and thought about it and wrote about it and analyzed it and presented it, that this is the greatest place of learning. So once a week, I'll go to the place where someone uh, teaches me. And that, that is helpful and that is good. And it's what Jesus' people have done for 2,000 years. It's absolutely helpful and necessary. But I think this should be the kickoff to the week of learning. And this can be encouraging to you, highlight some things you've already seen, bring out some things you didn't see, and hopefully just inspire you to fall more in love with the Bible, helping people experience life in Jesus. The greatest thing we could do for you too and for you to help others is to know what God has said so you'll know what God is saying and what God is doing. All right, a few resources to help. Let's, um, let's think about how we can learn 1 Corinthians better. There are people who have thought about this text uh, all throughout the centuries and some current writers that will help you. I'm going to give you some popular level and some advanced level if you're interested and you can get all these resources at Amazon or wherever you do your books, print or, or electronic. Paul for Everyone. Let's throw these up. Paul for Everyone, 1 Corinthians by N.T. Wright. Uh, what I love about this is it's short. It's very concise. It just goes through the text. And N.T. Wright is one of the greatest scholars on the life of the Apostle Paul in all of human history, let alone our generation. He is one of the greatest scholars. But he wrote this one at a very popular level, so you could literally just read the text for yourself and go along with what he said. It gives helpful background and insights that might not be obvious because this was written 2,000 years ago. I would encourage you. The next one um, is the NIV application commentary, 1 Corinthians by Craig, uh, Craig Bloomberg. And what's great about this series, if you're looking for any series on commentary about the Bible, the NIV application is written in a way for you to read and understand the text, understand the background behind it so you can know it more fully, and then thoughts on how to apply it to everyday life. It actually trains us how to read and understand and apply the Bible as you use it. It's the goal of the whole series. I highly recommend that one. Uh, another one, uh, 1 Corinthians, the interpretation series, a Bible commentary for Teaching and Preaching by Richard B. Hayes. Again, Richard Hayes is one of the greatest scholars of our time, um, living right now. And he hasn't written many commentaries, but he wrote one specifically on 1 Corinthians. What's cool about this one is it also highlights application. So he's writing this for people who are going to teach through it or preach through it. And you don't have to be a teacher or a preacher to enjoy it, but it's written with that angle of how do these words step into our reality. Uh, do you have to get all of them? No, they're going to repeat themselves. The thinnest would be N.T. Wright. Um, but all of them, I think, would be helpful. On the academic side, uh, there's an author named Gordon Fee. They're in the National Commentary on the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. It's the most comprehensive probably out there. It's the big dog. Some of you just want the big dog. You can weigh down a planet with this thing. I'm serious. It will, it will hold down anything you need to be held down. It is thick. It's a little on the dense side. It, it, he goes into Greek and he goes into historical background. But it's, uh, it's, it's delicious at the same time. 
It's really, really good. The only thing I'm saying here is there's all sorts of levels of learning. And if you want to uh, go the deepest, he also has, he taught all through 1 Corinthians at a seminary in Vancouver called Regent. I have the audio of his whole course, and I'm just listening in week in and week out. I'll be listening in because uh, he died at 88 last year, and he's a real gift to the church. So this is stuff that we don't often talk about. When I'm studying the Bible, I don't just read it and say, here's what I think it means. God has given us women. God has given us men who've wrestled, who've committed their life to the text. We can gain from their wisdom. We should. It's called humility and a learning posture. And a lot of what I'm sharing here is from reflection on, uh, uh, from these brilliant Jesus-loving people. All right, that's the... That's the book versions. There's another thing, though, that you can use if you're more video-centric. Uh, Bible Project has an overview video. You should, you should watch it. It takes nine minutes. gives you an overflow of the flow of the whole book. Nine minutes to video. People, nine minutes. You can get a grasp of the whole thing. You could ditch Jose. Watch the video. <laughs> Don't ditch Jose. Jose's nice. Uh, nothing like speaking of yourself in third person. And then you have what Bible Project also does. They have a classroom series. So, for no cost to you, you can take an entire course in 1 Corinthians online, and you sign up and register. It's absolutely free, and there's 14 hours worth of videos and notes that you could download for free. It's a gift from Bible Project that we love. They're on the east side of Portland, and, and, and our friends there have created this for your learning. So that's just, these are resources. It's also in the weekly. You saw links to all this stuff. And I want you to grow at a pace that makes sense to you. But a practical word. Question. Do I need like, to actually buy books to learn stuff here at church or watch the video series? I would say no and yes. No, you don't, you don't have to. We're designing the weekend and the community group experience. You could just read the passage and come and learn. So this isn't a guilt trip. But at the same token... What we want to do is become lifelong learners. So if you feel like you have a popular level understanding, you've read it, maybe you've gone to BSF that's gone through it or a Bible study, push yourself a little bit. You can read and study this your entire life again and again and again and get new nuggets every time. The Word of God's alive. So it's simple that a five-year-old can grasp it, and it's so deep and rich that a triple PhD will spend their entire life and not get all of it. Because it's not just a, le a letter. It's God-breathed for our good. Okay, so that's, that's a little bit of the plan. Hopefully that helps you. I'm going to, now, with that background in mind, I'm just going to reread it. We read it together. We'll put it up on the screen. And close your eyes if that's helpful. Or look at the screen or your Bible. Let's just think about it for a few minutes. And today I want to focus on just one angle to launch the series. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Just good to read the Bible. You notice I was trying to do it with tone because you, when, when you're going to study a text, I would just recommend this. When you read it, don't think you know it. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. This is the New International Version. When I'm getting prepared for this, I'll read it in the English Standard Version, which is more word-for-word uh, word in Greek to English. I'll read it in the NIV, which is a dynamic equivalent. It takes the lingo of our day and grabs the text and brings it into our language of today. I'll read it in the New Living Translation, which is trying to get it in an earthy tone. I read it, I read it, I read it, I read it. I don't pretend that I understand it yet, right? We want to be people who, I would encourage you as you read the Bible, you don't have to read a lot to gain a lot. Take shorter pieces of the Bible and read it and read it and read it and listen to it because you want the Bible to get you, not just you get the Bible, okay? So Paul, what he does here, what's going on in the intro? The first three verses are a mimic of what every Greco-Roman letter would be. They all start in Paul's day, like we have our way of starting a letter. If you're doing a formal letter, you would do the date and you would do the address and you would do the dear sir, madam, or the dear person. And then you would start with your little first line that says why you're writing. And so in one sense, yes, this is the word of God, but God chose ordinary language to speak to us. And a formal intro was in every letter. What would you do? You would introduce yourself, who you are, and who you're writing to. So Paul writing to the church of God in Corinth. Uh, you're going to give a greeting. So he speaks to them, right? He reminds them of who they are in Jesus. But you would do this in any letter. So in one sense, this is not super spectacular. This is just how you write. But then in a Greco-Roman letter, you're also going to give thanks, and you're going to offer a prayer. If you're not a Christian, you're going to offer a prayer to the God, saying that God would bless them. May the gods bless you. May the gods keep you. May you do well. May you prosper. So it's just an intro, right? Well, yes and no, because what you're going to see over the next three weeks, we're going to go really slow. One verse today, one verse next week, one verse the week following. Today we just want to look at the beginning of this. Who is the person? Because the person matters. And if we don't know the person well, we won't get a, a grip fully on what God is using him to say to not just Corinth, but to speak to us today. By the way, Paul probably had no idea of the influence as he just penning one of many letters. There are probably at least four. There are two in the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but we know there was a letter before 1 Corinthians, and we're sure there was at least another letter written back and forth. So he's writing back and forth to these Jesus-loving people that he cares about. Yet, God was doing something bigger than he can imagine, and let me just make it plain for all of us. This is a good reminder as we start this journey. It is about knowing what God has said so we know what God is saying. But just tuck this in the back of your brain. There are things that God has you doing right now that are bigger, more powerful, more lasting than you would ever imagine. There are normal, everyday things that you and I as Jesus people are engaged in that are going to last beyond our lifetime. This is why reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, applying the Bible makes such sense and ought to be inspiring and give hope. If God could take a man that was vehemently against the Jesus movement and use him to write these letters to ancient Jesus people, 
that we're now going to spend almost a year studying what could God do through you. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly above ever all that you would ask or imagine. So, okay, this week, who's Paul? Next week, what's going on in Corinth? And the third week, grace and peace. So I'm just going to read verse 1 again. Why read it again? Because it's worth it, okay? I'm going to read the Bible slowly. Verse 1. Paul. Okay, we're going to look at who he is. Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Then notice the phrase. By the will of God, called to be a designated messenger of who? Of Jesus, who's the Messiah. Why? By the will of God. And then our brother Sosthenes. We'll get to Sosthenes eventually. Okay, who is Paul? Before there is any letter, there's a life. That's all I want us to think about. Before there's anything written, there's a life. And by the way, let's just flip it to us. Your life is a letter right now. And there are things that are happening in you that are telling a story. There are things happening in me that are telling a story that other people are going to read. So before this guy ever writes to a church he didn't know, we need to think about the letter that was being written in him. Okay, where do we first get Paul in the Bible? Well, I love how the Bible is connected. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of Jesus presented to us. Right after that, God is so good, he lets us know what happened after the resurrection of Jesus through to the founding of all of these churches and the writing of the rest of Scripture. So, so what you get in the book called Acts is actually the background history, the real story of what was happening in the churches. And then after that, you have these letters written to the churches that are actually mentioned in Acts. So let's just go to Acts 7 in your Bible. If you have a physical Bible, just go to Acts chapter 7. And if not, we'll be helpful and put it on the screen. But I would encourage you, uh, bring your Bible or bring your, your tablet and let's, let's look at it together. So in Acts chapter 7, the Jesus movement is moving and there are more and more leaders who are sharing the good news with people. And one of them is Stephen. And Stephen is a leader in the church, and he's sharing the faith. And because of that, there are Jewish leaders who are against the claim that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And they don't believe it. And Stephen is refuting with them, saying from Scripture and from the real life of the person uh, called Jesus, that no, Jesus is the one that God had promised, and all of the Bible was leading to Jesus. And because of that, they were enraged. So in Acts chapter 7, I'll start in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. This is after his, him explaining the gospel. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen gets a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus in view. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I don't have time to get all the Jewish imagery, but, but, but basically, I see the one that all the Bible was pointing towards. I see him, and it's Jesus. Look what happens. At this, they covered their ears to say, no, this is a lie. And yelling at the top of their voices to deny that what he said was real, they all rushed at him, 
they dragged him out of the city and they began to pick up stones and to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. You know, that unkind way of saying he died. And the beginning of chapter 8 says, and Saul approved of their killing him. So, okay, already, for those of you newer to the Bible, you have Saul, and I'm talking about Paul. Well, Saul is his Jewish name. Most people were, were, were addressed by multiple names. His Roman name would have been Paul. See, they're interchangeable. I'm Jose, which is Spanish for Joseph. You could call me Joseph. Actually, don't. It's not my name. But uh, you could call me Joseph. But, but Joseph and Jose are the same thing. And so to say Saul or to say Paul is to speak about the same person. And actually some of the Jesus people later on still called him Saul and others called him Paul. So it's not like he changed his name when he became a Christian. He actually could be referred by both of the names. Okay, hopefully that's helpful. Now, what, what, do, we, what do we get? We're going to get back to 1 Corinthians 1.1, but what do we see here? We see that Saul has heard the good news of Jesus, clearly presented by Stephen, who was able to refute with them from the Bible that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, like, like a good leader, like the others, they saw this as wrong and evil, and what you want to do to honor God is you want to stamp out things that are not true and stamp out heresy and stamp out evil. To honor God is to keep his name as holy, and someone who says someone's the Messiah who is not, they must be stopped, and so... All these leaders rush to, to kill this man in the name of God somehow because what he's saying is wrong. And Saul is already a Jewish leader and he's already approving. But I, I want us to remember the first glimpse we get of Saul is him approving a man who's on his knees and his final words are, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. They're throwing rocks to stamp him out. And this Jesus person is with love saying, forgive them. Receive my spirit, Lord Jesus. And that's where we encounter Saul. Now you think, okay, maybe he just had a bad day. Actually, no, you, you just keep reading. Saul is going to go on a rampage against the church. Uh, uh, read verse 2. On that day, the day that Stephen was martyred, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They had to leave the center of Jerusalem where worship is held. Godly men buried Stephen and, bur and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Well, what did he do? Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and put them in prison. So Saul begins this newfound passion. So he is dedicated. We'll talk more about Saul, Paul, in the weeks to come because the letter is going to be very personal. He's going to be talking to this church that is, has gotten this misguided notion that he's not really an apostle. He's not really a leader. He's not really authorized to speak into their life. And there have been some who say, like, Paul's just kind of gone weird. Don't listen to him. So he's going to reflect on who he is, but he starts the letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. God did this. But that's not where his life starts. What we get is him approving 
of Stephen, a godly man, who's forgiving him while he's being murdered. And with no repentance, he now goes from house to house, and now he's looking for ways to find, which means he's talking to people and getting other Jewish brothers and sisters to turn in, hey, do you know some other people who are following this Jesus character? Oh, yeah, there's a few over there. They go to worship with that group on Sundays, and I don't get it. But Okay, so he goes to their house, and he starts to prosecute them on the spot, and he drags them away, and he puts them in prison where they're often beaten before uh, they will recant their faith. Just think about where your journey was before you started following this Jesus. You see, everyone's life is a letter. Paul, he has a life first, and, and then he writes a letter. And in the same way, you and I all come to the faith from various places. Now, I'm fortunate. When I think of my Jesus story, or the story of God's work in my life, it is nothing like Paul. Uh, my mom and dad were not following Jesus. Uh, I was the second of four. And after me, my parents started following Jesus. I don't think there's a direct connection. I was bad, but probably not that bad. But... but but they, they, in my early childhood, they started following Jesus. So for me, when I look back at my life, I had this mom and dad who are opening the Bible and learning the Bible and loving the Bible and loving church and growing. And we had community group in our house every Thursday night. As long as I can remember, there wasn't a Thursday night where Jesus people weren't in our home sharing a meal and laughing and, and praying and reading the Bible together. And kids jammed in our rooms trying to be quiet, impossibly. You know, like seven or eight of us stuck in a room probably the size of this little stamp over here. You know, trying to be quiet. And, and, and I have a great heritage and great background. And so by the time I heard the good news that Jesus is the Son of God and he came to the earth with a very clear plan to bring me and you back to life with God. When I began to discover that Jesus never sinned and the sinless one went and sacrificed his own life. No one, no one forced him to the cross. He gave himself as a ransom for many that he took my sin and shame on the cross out of love. And he says even to the thief, today you're going to be with me in paradise because one of the thieves said, look, you don't deserve this. I'm unworthy. I deserve this. You don't, Jesus. And out of his simple trust in the good work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Jesus can say to him, even while dying, today you're going to be with me in paradise. See, Jesus came to save. He came to rescue. He came to bring us back to life with God. Okay, when I heard that as a kid, uh, I was already ready for it because my framework was there. But that's not everyone's story here. And it's interesting, this week in our community groups, we're going to share a bit of our journey and in, in our pathway to following Jesus before we were and, and how we did and what's been happening since. For some of us, you're just like me. Like I, I was grounded well and I learned and then I heard it again and it, it was a time it clicked. And, and let me just tell you this. You can hear all of your life, but until it clicks for you, it's just news. It's not fully good yet. The good news includes our response to what God has done fully in Jesus. And so the good news always ends with an opportunity for you and I to say, Jesus, I transfer my trust from me to you. I can't live in right relationship with God. I'm just not 
worthy. But Jesus, I trust that what you did for me is enough to bring me back to life with God. And this morning, I want you to take that step. I want some of you who've heard the good news 100, 200, 300, 1,000 times, I want you to, I want it to go from just this statement in history to something that now changes the trajectory of your life. You see, we need to, like we're going to see happens to Saul, we need to hear this news and receive it and respond to it, and you can this morning. But that's, that's where Paul is in Acts so far. He's dragging people off, trying to see them put in prison. But that's not where the story ends. So we're going to read a long passage. I debated whether you just read it in your group or read it at home. But I'm like, no, let's read it now. What happens to this man called Saul? So just flip in your Bible one page to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to see 22 verses of what happens to see his life changed. So Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if, anyone's found, if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that was the original name of the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, but they heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground where, uh, where he had opened his eyes and he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I love this response. Lord, said Ananias, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he came here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. I love how he wrestles with God. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't he the man 
who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, that was a lot, but I, I wanted you to see it because the turnaround is actually shown to us in the Bible. And so this man goes from someone who's standing there approving the killing of a Jesus follower and going from house to house and city to city, he's animate that, that everyone who follows the way must be stamped out. But he encounters the risen Jesus. And he hears the voice of Jesus. A big light shines and he's blinded and he doesn't know what to do. But Jesus clarifies, this is who I am. I am the one you're persecuting. Was he persecuting Jesus? Well, he was persecuting Jesus' people. It's a side note, but it's just so loving. When people come against you and me because of our love for Jesus, yes, we're the people who hear it, see it, feel it, experience it, but who are they really coming against? Jesus. And he sees and he knows and he's aware of everyone suffering for the name. And this is good news to us to be courageous because, because this really isn't about us, it's about him. And so Saul now hears the voice. He spends three days bewildered, blind, hungry, trying to figure out what do I do now in light of this risen Jesus who's made himself real to me. And, and, and what we get in in Acts 9, is immediately, within a couple of days, he begins to now go into the synagogue, which is just the place where he would go to stamp out the Jesus people. And now here he goes into the synagogue to say the reason why he has now become a Jesus follower and why everyone in the synagogue should turn and follow the Messiah because the Messiah is alive. He died and he's risen and he's come to set us free. And the person that was once trying to stop the church is now trying to expand it. Isn't this good news? So this is the story of one life. Before there is a letter, there is a life. And we need to remember, before we do anything, before we serve in any way, before we are engaged in the mission of God, because God has mission for all of us. He has things he wants us to do and be engaged in. But before all of that, there is an encounter with God. And so I want us this week, as we think about what we're going to learn and what we're going to see is, where are we in our own encounter with the risen Jesus? Where are you in your actual encounter with the risen Jesus? He's alive, and he's ruling the universe, and he's preparing to come again, and he's building his church. But who is Jesus to you? Like, really? Who is he to you? Because that's where all of life begins. I, I think we need to remember the power of a transformed life. There is power when Jesus comes in and begins to transform your life. Sometimes we undervalue it, especially if you were born and raised, going to church. You kind of look down on it because you've been doing this for a while. No, 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 no. You have been born again. You've been made new by God. Your name, when you trust in Jesus alone for rescue, is written in the book called life. Like you will never be apart from God. This is like, this isn't ordinary stuff. 
You know him now, Paul. When Ananias lays his hands on him and he receives the good news, he receives the Holy Spirit, he's baptized in water, he's immediately energized and sent to the synagogue. This is not ordinary stuff. His life has been radically changed. And for some of us, it was that much of a turning point. When you hear in your community group, you can hear stories of like, I was this, and now God has done this in my life. For others, the process of transformation is so slow, you almost don't see it. It's like, you know, watch that slug move on the side of your house. Like three days later, there's like this much slime and there's the slug that has moved until you kick it off or move it off or gently <laughs> remove the slug, whatever you do with the slug. But some of you, your process of growth has been so long and slow and steady, you really don't see it. But we need to remember, we have been changed by Jesus. So my life can now be a letter because God has started in something me in me and in you, that will never end. You have eternal life. You know what that means? You're alive to God now, and that life with God, even though we have the bumps and bruises on this earth and we feel far from him and we dishonor him and we repent and we come back, but you and I will never be apart from God. Life forever with this creator who loved us enough to send his son to rescue us. This is the news. So at least three implications, and we want to apply it. Three implications. One, everyone has a story to share. Everyone has a story to share. And everyone has a future because of Jesus. The details of your story are different than mine, but some of you, it's more dramatic. But look, if you've received Jesus Christ, you've been given eternal life. And everyone has a future. The one who's killing Christians is now calling people to follow Jesus and everyone really can step into their callings. And this is the good news. Because of Jesus and his transformation that he brings to our lives, there are these callings. Because Jesus tells Ananias, I have already prepared this man to be a light to the Gentiles. And we'll get into that when we look at Corinth next week. Paul is the least likely person to talk to Corinth. It doesn't make any sense. He is fitted in his background, in his pedigree, in his training to speak to Jews because that's who he is to the core. But God is wiser than anyone. And God can use anyone to do anything, anywhere that he wants. So he takes someone who's fitted to serve Jewish people and says, no, I'm going to show the mystery of my greatness. I'm going to use this least likely person to be the agent of change in the non-Jewish world. And friends, it reminds us that God's calling doesn't always make sense. You say, well, I, I think I would be fitted best to do this, that, and the other because of who I am. Just remind yourself of this. Because you have Jesus Christ and you've been given the Holy Spirit, all impossibilities fall to the ground. Doesn't mean God will do everything through you, but it means he can. And it means if I'm one of his followers, I shouldn't limit what God wants to do through me. And that's what we see in this life of Paul. All right. We looked at his life, but we also thought about how to apply it. Because I want to read the Bible. I want to understand the Bible. But I want to apply the Bible. So let me just read verse uh, 1 of 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, one more time. Because I want us to remember that the transformation that Jesus wants to bring 
he wants to bring in all of us. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We saw from Acts that Paul didn't do it and the church didn't do it. God did it. We saw that while Saul was trying to kill the faith, Jesus was pursuing him. And this is the reminder to all of us that we didn't find God because we were on this great search. No, that's actually not how it works. God, in his great love, was looking for us. And in the middle of our mess, God stepped in and made his son Jesus clear to you. You wouldn't even be following Jesus if, if he hadn't made himself clear to you. And so Saul would not be following Jesus if he hadn't appeared in this way that would make sense to him. And so in the same way, Jesus is here and he wants, he wants to make himself clear and known to you. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And this is the turnaround that can happen when we choose to follow him. So one question that ought to drive how we think about this week. Where are you? Where are you on the journey of following Jesus? Where are you? Where are you now? So let's just ask some questions around the question. Because we're coming from different spaces and we respect that. Some of you, you're exploring. You're really intrigued. Well done. You're here because you want to know what he's like. You're going to you're going to, over the next few weeks and months, you're going to continue to hear. Press in. Ask questions. Connect with other people. Learn from them. Um, there's no greater pursuit than to pursue who Jesus is. And if Jesus is not compelling, don't follow him. Look, don't. Don't waste your time. But I have found Jesus to be the most compelling one to follow and the one with real words of life. So where are you? You may be exploring. Some of you, um, you've heard it. You kind of know it, but you haven't participated in it. And this morning, I think the right response is to, like Paul, he heard the voice. You're not, you don't need to hear a booming voice from Jesus yourself. You already heard the word of God. Jesus died and rose again to save. We need to act on it. Who are you trusting to be alive to God now and to be alive with God forever? Are you trusting you and your attempts? Are you trusting the name Christian? Are you trusting going to church? Are you trusting your pursuit of the Bible or doing good or whatever, those things are all fun and they're, they're helpful. But we trust in Jesus alone. We come with nothing but our sin and say, Jesus, rescue me. And this morning, you can do that. Some of us just need to start the journey. We want to live the Christian life only to find out well, you're not yet a Christian. You haven't started following. So why not just start there? And you're invited. You could do that right here, right now. I think for many of us, we've already done that. But where are you on the journey this man who is against Jesus is now compelled to follow him deeply. Where, where are you? Are you learning? Are you in a place where you're growing? Uh, have you become lazy, stagnant, stuck in something? The invitation is to, to see whatever God wants to do rekindled in us on the first week of our study in this letter. We just want to think about, about the life change that Jesus really brings. And if he can turn this person's life around, think about what he can do with you. So here's the word. God's not finished with you yet. He brought you here to push you forward in him. So how are you going to respond? Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering Podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, 
please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.